Hi, and welcome to Showcast. In this episode, we enter the astral plane of 3D stereoscopic design. Today, I'm chatting with Strange Loop Studios co-founder and creative director, David Wexler, on his recent project, Flying Lotus 3D. The Flying Lotus 3D show is an immersive audiovisual experience featuring a variety of cutting-edge visual content, including real-time animation and camera treatment, all displayed on stereoscopic 3D LED. This show is a crazy mashup of delectably obscene aesthetics, all brought together by meticulous design to create a window to another world. So, join us on a journey through Z-Space. I'm Kat Kemsley, and this is The Notch Showcast. Hi, David. Hey, Kat. How are you doing? Yeah, I'm really well, thank you. Thanks for joining me on the line. Of course. So we last spoke in May when you and the Strange Loop team were in the early stages of development and pre-production for Flying Lotus 3D. Um, what has Strange Loop been up to since then? Uh, well, that was a big, big chunk of my time because I was on the road for two months uh, with Lotus around North America. And um, yeah, and then um, we've done some other shows as well like for uh ghost main we we made a content package and uh also for uh the glitch mob we made a new uh visual show so uh yeah there's been a lot of fun stuff going on you've created films and visuals for some of my favorite artists uh arika badu kendrick lamar toki monster bonobo and of course flying lotus and i'm really jealous you've worked with some really really cool artists oh so how did you get into video art, David? Basically, I've always kind of been into making video art and uh, and really didn't know if I could have a career out of it. Uh, but it was always something that really interested me. And more than just making films, I kind of wanted to make like cinema that was very integrally tied in with music. And, um, and I, I felt like I was kind of set up to do film in a way because my my family is they're basically all filmmakers you know i saw that as a really easy path but i kind of was so interested in music that i wanted to do something in cinema that was uh very tied to it and yeah meeting meeting lotus uh steve in film school was really inspiring because he was someone who actually had kind of equal passion for music and cinema just like me and when we both came back to LA I began collaborating with him on a lot of the early uh brain feeder projects that were going on and sort of saw this new new realm of being able to perform uh live visuals which to me was like kind of like you know performing cinema like actually you know still had all the the elements of cinema but it was happening in real time and was kind of a realm where there wasn't a lot of rules i guess like you could do whatever you wanted and you could cut up you know films and and sort of create things that didn't have a, a linear narrative and and it would still be something that people watched but uh in a different way than than you would if you're just sitting down in a theater and and watching a, a feature film I, I agree i think there is something really liberating about music-led visuals and the fact that they're not necessarily locked to a, a narrative structural format but they could be if they wanted to be. You went on to found 
Strange Loop Studios with Ian Simon. Tell me a bit more about Strange Loop and your relationship with Ian. Yeah, Ian really uh, compliments me on a lot of levels, and he's very good at a lot of the things that I'm not not so good at, and uh, I, I think vice versa. So um, that was kind of the the inception of us working together, which is which is funny because it didn't have anything to do with you know him being into live visuals initially. It was really really founded around just our our friendship and our both being uh, music makers and and lovers of music. So now the the moniker that used to really be my just artist not moniker of Strange Loop, I feel like doesn't necessarily apply to just me. I, I think of the whole the studios as really, you know, that is the strange loop kind of idea manifest in a group of people um who are all, you know, working towards similar aims. I think you kind of summarized it really well and uh, it's really interesting I guess it summarizes what Strange Loop's about quite well in the sense that you chose a partner who was really had a really strong musical sensibility and that was kind of equally as important to marry with your you have a musical background and a visual arts background yeah so. I think that that's definitely the the foundation of the studio and in many ways beyond just the sort of skills of the personnel it's it's that we wanted to be working with people that really had an understanding and love of music and could translate that to a visual landscape uh and sometimes it's easier to kind of go from from the music to the visuals than it is from the visuals to the music musical because uh sometimes being involved just with a lot of Computers and visual design software can remove you a bit from uh, a, mu a musical sense because it's a very different different process than like playing an instrument, and which is something I would love to change actually, and <laughs> been actively involved in trying to figure out how to move things forward in a, in a direction where the visual creation process could be more similar to the musical creation process and a little bit more fluid and allow you to get into flow states easier. Uh, and so I, I think there's, there's definitely methodologies emerging that can help out with that, that are really exciting. Yeah, I agree. Really exciting times. And notch is actually one of them. Notch feels to me a lot more like playing kind of a, a, a musical instrument. It's more, it's more spontaneous and um, a little less laborious. Yeah, and that's exactly kind of what Matt set out to do. He just found it really interesting that in, you know, the musical space, he says it quite a lot, you know, if you had a if you were playing an instrument and you couldn't hear what you were playing till a couple of minutes later. <laughs> so, you know, it just dislocates you from what you're creating. Exactly. So. Exactly. That's that's the the analogy we've been using in studio as well because it just it just seems so funny when, you know, yeah, you you know, put something together and it might be, you know, this incredible scene, but you're sitting there, you know, waiting for some preview and, you know, you get minutes later, if, if, uh, at best <laughs> minutes later at best, uh, you know, if I was working on Ableton or something and I had to just wait to hear this, this piece I just did, it would, it would completely interrupt the flow. Yeah, it's really interesting as well, the idea of, because obviously you work closely with Time Boy. Yeah. 
making visuals. It's interesting to hear like the collaborative side of making visuals together and um, how important it is to, you know, have a sense of immediacy when you're doing that as well. Well, that's where it kind so, of yeah. becomes... More like jamming. Yeah, exactly. I mean, that's that's where it becomes more more exciting in certain respects when you're in the live environment and you might have all this content or, you know, all these different notch scenes and there's an audience there and you can actually kind of explore something and and be spontaneous and create something live that, you know, for, for me, that's usually where I do get some flow states and, you know, feel really like connected with the work even more so than sometimes when I'll, I'll spend a long time creating something visually animating something, which, which I might be proud of, but there isn't the same kind of immediate extemporaneous kind of euphoria that you get. Um, so yeah, you were saying that you and Flylo, Stephen Ellison met at college. Were you guys making college films together on the same course? We were. Yeah. Um, Steve helped me with some of my early student films and actually I was making a lot of music at the time which is something I, I still do kind of mostly as a hobby but um, he uh, uh, saw me kind of like making music on a laptop in the hallway and got very curious about the fact that you could actually do that <laughs> in today's world because it was kind of a new new thing in a way like not a lot of people were making music on their laptops and so he asked if he could get a copy of reason which i got for him and uh showed him kind of the basics of uh that software and pretty soon he was making phenomenal music it was like kind of like a, a master immediately and uh so yeah there was kind of like a lot of sharing you know uh things that we we're interested in as well in terms of avant-garde cinema and music and and yeah we became friends kind of you know playing each other a lot of crazy media you um, could have easily become enemies, you know, when you show someone how to use something and they just completely boss you at it. Um, oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, it was, it was, uh, it was cool. It was, it was funny that, that some, I, mean, I know that's, you know, a small part of um, Steve's history, but it's funny that I was kind of there at that time to help him get into making music on a laptop. Amazing. And it's interesting that you also had all these, for you, like a career in filmmaking was an almost easier direction to take with all the contacts and connections you must have had by your family but kind of chose the route less treaded less trod the the you know <laughs> <laughs> the road less traveled yeah That's the road yeah. less traveled yeah um and now you're doing some really interesting stuff you know this recent project was um you know completely in 3d and you don't hear about many concerts that I mean, I don't think I've, I've ever been to a 3D concert. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, I think there's a reason for that. And, uh, you know, 3D projection has been the, the primary method that's been used for concerts when they have done them. And 3D projection, at least to me, is not a tremendously compelling 3D experience. And we actually connected with a company called 3D Live, which was using LED for 3D shows. And when I saw the tech, I thought this was definitely the coolest thing that could be done with stereoscopic 3D. Amazing. So Flying Lotus 3D is an, uh, it's an immersive audio-visual experience 
featuring a variety of cutting-edge visual content and um, including real-time animation and camera treatment. And it's all displayed on stereoscopic 3D LED. Um, so if, if someone had never seen or experienced um, this show or 3D LED um, before, how would you describe Flying Lotus 3D? So one of the things that the technology allows us to do with the artwork really is give it this sense of dimensionality that you don't get with, you know, just a normal LED wall, meaning you can bring objects into the foreground. They can appear as if they're floating over the audience or they can recede in the background. So it becomes like the, the screen is almost a window where you can look into the distance and see something as a VJ or visual operator kind of performing the show, it becomes really fun because we're making decisions in real time. I feel like it, it definitely becomes kind of a, a spectacle that, that almost can <laughs> make people stop dancing sometimes, which is, you know, not, not always the best. Um, you're looking out and all these people are just sort of like stunned by the, the 3d imagery. But I think that um, it becomes kind of a hyper cinematic experience and, something unique in, in the concert space really transportational i guess yeah you feel like you're just flying somewhere um half the time and, and it's very convincing uh even though essentially you're looking at a, a flat screen the polarized 3d glasses on is with these shows the venues that you've performed at were there any specific requirements that you you needed for this to work um not really uh i mean just Space, essentially, is the most important. Um, we can have a, a big enough wall where you can actually uh, get the full 3D effect because one of the most common things you have to deal with having a performer on stage and having 3D imagery behind them is kind of wrestling with points of intersection between the performer and, and the 3D. So basically, you know, if you have an object trying to move forward into space um you know downstage towards the audience and and uh you have a performer there who's you know upstage it can feel like you know your your brain's trying to put two things together it's trying to put two realities together so one reality is you know this object's coming forward but the other reality is there's a performer on stage that's obfuscating it and it doesn't seem like an object should be able to move forward so you have to kind of navigate those points of intersection and make sure the 3d kind of works around the performer as best you can which changes you know based on the scale of the wall that you can fit in the venue so do you have to make kind of adjustments dependent on the venue then or not so exactly much? Yeah, exactly right. yeah so every venue you know we make changes and and honestly that's where notch became really really important simply because if you've rendered out a bunch of 3D content as video, you can't really do a lot of ad adjusting of it. You know, we'd find instances where we just would say, okay, well, we can't use these clips tonight, or we have to kind of reconfigure the set. And, you know, it could get really tricky dealing with just the, the 3D video. But since we had a good amount of uh, notch content that was made for the show, uh, each venue when we set up, we could kind of take a look at everything and then if we needed to move a particle system or or a 3d scene up to avoid the performer we could do that uh right before the show basically 
and it was very quick and easy to kind of just reconfigure things. And uh, going back to when you were saying about kind of having to balance the, I guess, 3D fantastical elements of the show, you know, the animated elements of the show with the live performance, it just made me think of that classic kind of film school phrase of um, verisimilitude, where you've got to balance the you know belief and disbelief and kind of Mm -hmm. make it feel like it could be real rather than you've got two i guess battling realities or yeah cool and you guys were touring north america um together and you were doing that from uh, august to september of this year so 2019 yes and how was it what was your uh what did your day-to-day look like whilst you're on tour it was great we kind of had like a a really cool tour family really because we were all friends um on on the crew pretty much before we went out so we had a lot of fun and you know i think that's great just seeing the response to the show in all these different places and you know it's tremendously positive response i feel like uh it's it's fun doing this this show as a audiovisual experience because you do you do really see people respond to to the visuals as well as the music and and it becomes unique in that respect there might be moments where you know, something happens visually and it's not necessarily, you know, just reflecting the audio. Like we have a, for instance, a moment where a kind of a spaceship emerges out of the screen and you could hear people flip out at that specific moment. So as a primarily a visual artist, it's kind of fun to know that the the visuals are having a real impact and, you know, people are kind of actually absorbing it and, and, you know, watching it as much as they're, they're listening to the music. Yeah, and I guess you've got an audience that's quite re- receptive to the absurd and the obscene. With, oh, yeah. You know. <laughs> <laughs> that's the other thing. Is compared to a lot of shows we work on, which you know might still be incredible shows, it's, it's a very um, crazy, dynamic kind of show. And, and I think really a lot of that is thanks to Steve because he's also a filmmaker and we really take a lot of cues from him aesthetically and try to bring in you know things that he's working on in cinema and the show ends up becoming this big hybrid mishmash of all these different sometimes obscene sometimes funny sometimes scary aesthetics and i feel like it's i don't know it's it's unique in in that respect that uh, i think there's certain things that we might do in the visual show that a lot of people wouldn't wouldn't touch (laughs) i feel like it's too too uh too out there Oh, I love it. The first, um, the first gift my boyfriend ever bought me for Christmas was um, the Flying Lotus "You're Dead" final. The, oh wow! The yeah, and man, I just stared at that album cover for hours. It was just, it's just the most beautiful thing, and it's so psychedelic and so colourful, but so kind of dark. <laughs> like, you stare at it, and I feel like, oh, that's pretty twisted. What's on there? Like just bits of body parts and limbs, but it's so vibrant. It's just. Yeah. 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 I think that was a really important record visually and musically where it balanced uh, these kind of realms of humor and seriousness. I mean, you know, the record's all about death, but there is kind of like this, you know, absurdism around it. And I don't know, it, it speaks to Steve's like sense of humor, but it doesn't take away from kind of the, the depth of depth of the record and all that work i thought was so fantastic from shintaro kago the uh artist who designed all that stuff and i remember actually animating and 
editing the teaser for that, we got to take all that artwork and kind of cut it up and, you know, make animation out of it. And it was really inspiring process. Yeah, really cool. Yeah, lots to work with as well there because there's just so oh, many yeah. little, little elements to it. Um, so what was your uh, what was your inspiration behind the content for this show? In terms of the the notch content, I really wanted to make content that that felt like it was uh, energetically kind of coming from Steve's performance. So there was a a lot of you know particle systems and even taking camera feeds and then driving particle systems with them uh, that we could sort of show in three D and and uh, I felt like we you know we had some really good background. Uh, content that could set the stage environmentally and both from our, our last kind of iteration of the show and and from uh, this new round of content. So really what I was focusing a lot on was the more kind of performative and more dynamic content that could, yeah, feel a little bit more like jazz in a way. It could be, you know, performed improvisationally and wouldn't be so tied to just a a linear linear timeline and so i even like you know just hooked up a midi keyboard as well which was really fun to be able to manipulate particle systems in a more dynamic way and every time it would be slightly different so when you're playing the keyboard were there any, was there any presets as to what effect it might have or was it driving different yeah kind of... yeah so i made like 40 something presets um that could be you know i could switch to them live but then you know the keyboard would would drive some aspect of the scene so i could play different elements that might you know resemble what's happening musically and you'd be able to see those kind of emissive textures kind of crawl across the the 3d forms and it became a way of like i don't know feeling like i had my hands were like more into the the visuals and and it was less of just a kind of process of playback and editing notch kind of opened up this whole realm where it felt like something was really being built in real time and there was a more chaotic element in terms of what it was going to do. You, you couldn't really predict at any given time. And is, uh, is VJing still quite a big part of your life or is it an exception you make when you work with Flylo that you go on the road? And You know, there's only a few people that I've really been uh, VJing with in the past couple of years. And I think it's, you know, uh, there's just a lot of... Uh, really work uh running running the studio with uh with my partner ian and so i i uh you know i love doing it but i i also realize that it's uh, often when you're out on the road you're kind of doing the same same sort of thing over and over again um in the case of the flying lotus show there's actual there's room to evolve and grow but there there sometimes can be this sort of feeling of just you know repeating the same day like groundhog's day you know you're just kind of doing another show and and i like to balance that with with actually being able to make new things and and create new experiences so i've been trying to limit the amount that i'm out on the road and i think it's also just good for for my sanity if you know if you're on the road for too long or at least i tend to go a little bit crazy well, good. I mean, you seem very grounded right now, so... You Thank know. you. <laughs> Trying my best here. <laughs> so I, I can't quite remember the exact phrase, but you mentioned the element of unpredictability 
in the shows, as well as playing visuals over the MIDI keyboard, were there any other ways in which you were generating unexpected visuals live? Yeah, so I think some of that also comes out of just the relationship I have with Time Boy, who's performing visuals with me, where you know we can really play around with Resolume and with Notch and and create combinations and overlays and and there's a, a real dynamic element while that's occurring within some of the generative systems within Notch. It's also occurring on a larger level with the show where uh, there's that kind of collaboration between John and me, and there's also the fact that we just don't know what Lotus will play any given day because we might develop some routines. Um, we definitely have like you know tracks where he's probably going to play you know this track, and we sort of know know what we might do to that. But then there's a lot of times where uh, he's exploring something, and we kind of are just following where he's uh, leading the audience, and and we need to respond visually somehow. So it's a it's a good situation when when basically we you know have enough elements that we can play with that we can form something new in real time. Mm. And how much of the design was set in stone versus created on sites or on the road? That was that was interesting because normally it wouldn't really be possible for us to keep developing visuals on the road if it was all based in video and pre-rendered uh, elements. With Notch, it allowed us to actually, while we were on the road, come up with new ideas and see what was working in the 3D space and just design some new blocks. And you know that made it really fun because the whole the creative process didn't didn't really end when we went on tour. It was just you know, they continue to develop. Mm. And were you guys just working off of laptops? <sighs> laptops, yeah. Yeah. Alienware laptop with a external GPU, um, mm-hmm. which I know, you know, normally on a, a different kind of show, uh, you might, you know, make notch blocks and deliver them to a D3. But uh, in this instance, I was kind of working entirely within Builder and and it, it actually was the perfect tool. Yeah, D3, now disguised. This, uh, <laughs> yeah, so I guess, um, was there any kind of necessary hardware that you needed to make sure that the 3D stereoscopic elements worked? Well, I mean, I did have limitations in terms of, you know, I'm dealing with just a 1080 NVIDIA GPU. So with anything stereoscopic, you're taking your scene and you're rendering it twice so basically, it, it, it limits you in various ways. But I found that usually it wasn't significant enough uh, to make me like drop a scene, for instance. Like, you know, I just needed to figure out how to tailor it so it would still look really good, but also be optimized for for three D and to play back in real time well. You did a version of the three D show a couple of years back with Flying Lotus. Where did the crazy idea to do it again come from? <laughs> the crazy idea, I think. Um, well. I think there was a really good response when we first did it and and but it was it was all video and there was there was no notch elements and no no camera elements. So this this tour, because of where the technology was at too, it gave us the opportunity to really try out a lot of new things and make it a more dynamic improvisatory version of the three d show. And uh, the great thing with notch, obviously, is there's that stereo camera you can just throw in there and immediately you've you've got all your settings for 3d so we would discover for instance that we could push something more in the what they call the negative z space that's where you you know are taking an object and 
bring it closer to the audience. We could, you know, experiment with with that and see how far we could actually push it right there in real time versus having to go through that really annoying process of rendering out a, you know, a clip and then checking it on the wall and then going back and, uh, you know, changing the camera settings and re-rendering it. And that was one of the things that even though I love stereoscopic 3D LED, it it was definitely putting me off of the process. And I know that all of our animators at Strange Loop were pretty annoyed by the process, to be frank, um, and got used to sort of having to deal with it. But once we were uh, doing a lot in Notch, it, it became a, a really simple kind of fun thing to see how far you could push the 3D. And there wasn't the need for a timely kind of irritating process to get there. Uh, could you tell me a little bit more about the team who worked on the production with you? So we've got nine people here at our LA studio um, for Strange Loop, and most of them are animators working in C4D, now Notch, um, Houdini, After Effects, and then the show itself really, because it's been going on so long, it not only features animation from artists here, but um, from many, many artists around the world world really and john was definitely instrumental in getting some new video content uh for the show from different animators that we respected then uh yeah 3d live uh provide the the 3d led we would have a rehearsal set up uh, a week before the show and um just run through everything and look at everything in context and work really closely with them to also ensure that the 3D elements they're putting in the show kind of meet the quality standards that they, they have for 3D. And really, it's just that I, I respect their team a lot. So it's great to get their input when we're trying something that might push the limits of the 3D. It's, it's a really kind of fine line that's different if you're making just a, a 2D show because you might have something that aesthetically doesn't work and people have their opinions about it but in 3d if it doesn't work uh, it can be almost i call it neurologically offensive where <laughs> you're sort of looking at at an image and it just you know if the settings aren't right feels like it's like hurting your brain so because i look at so much 3d imagery i feel like you can get numb to certain certain things and it's great to have other people there that can actually assess if it's going to give people headaches or not i mean it's a big you know big collaborative process but a, a relatively small team going out on the road to make it all happen mm -hmm. and for anyone thinking of creating a show using stereoscopic 3d what advice could you give them um I would say it's it's really important to have some time with the actual setup um, that you're going to be on um, because once once you're on a large setup, the perspective and the amount of 3D you're experiencing changes essentially. It's very interesting. It's it's distance relative as well. Like if you if you move farther away from a 3D LED wall and you're looking at the same 3D imagery you're looking at up close, uh, you actually get more more depth. It's um, proportional to your distance so you want to kind of view the 3d content from as many perspectives as you can and find sort of those happy mediums where things are working from as many perspectives as possible and i think that using something like notch is really important um or just made the process a lot more fun for me because uh you could 
with a you know with a 3D surface and a live output from Notch, make a lot of changes in real time and do all of your adjustments even on site if you have to, versus um, the much much more difficult process of rendering out video content. So I think that um, yeah, for anyone interested in doing stereoscopic 3D in shows, those are some important elements and. And then I think um, viewing the stuff for a long time, because if you're, you know, in the audience and you're you're watching content for an hour, uh, you have to really be able to measure how much people can process within that time. Whether you need to take more more breaks or or have um, you know only certain moments where you're really relying on negative Z content that has that whole kind of like poke you in the eye effect, like because it's more more visually um, taxing, and uh, yeah, and you don't want to de- desensitize people to the bigger effects either. Exactly, you know, something's mm. yeah, and so you have to kind of weigh all, weigh all those things and and think about it as an audience member and not just looking at an isolated clip. So now that it's over and you've done the North America tour, what's next for Flying Lotus 3D? I'm not entirely sure at this point. Um, we're having lots of discussions about it. And um, interestingly, we've been kind of invoking some some older shows recently. Uh, we just did the, the Hypercube show in Florida at a festival uh, sort of as a one-off for fun because it was a show that we built a while ago. And it's it's a multi-layered projection show, but the the structure downstage is kind of a projection mapped scrim covered structure so uh you can create a lot of really cool effects between that and and the back wall and i think um you know it's fun to sort of return to something that that we'd uh we toured with before but i think that right now we're still kind of in the the creative process about what's going to be the next thing we do Exciting. So is there anyone that you'd like to take the opportunity to spotlight from this production? Spotlight? Uh, do you mean um, give a shout out to? <laughs> yeah, give a shout out to. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, maybe it's a cheap move since we're such close collaborators. But um, yeah, I'll just give a shout out to John King because I feel like our you know collaboration together and our, our friendship has made all this possible and so it's it's great that we get to still still work on the show that we love together all these years big up time boy your partner your long-term collaborator and i guess that's about all the time we have today yeah it's been great chatting about flying lotus 3d and been really insightful and i'm really looking forward to seeing what comes out of strange loop next okay thanks so much kat thanks thanks david You can check out Strange Loop's work by heading over to their website www.strangeloop-studios.com or by following them on Instagram and Facebook at Strange Loop Studios. To read this interview and check out the images, videos and node graphs, then pop over to the Notch website, notch.one and let us know what you thought of today's episode over Twitter at NotchVFX. You can get a daily update of awesome projects made with Notch by following NotchVFX on Instagram or show us something you've made using the hashtag madewithnotch. Thanks for listening.
Next week, I'm speaking with Kevin Zhu from All of It Now on his AR integrated design for BTS's Love Yourself Tour. Catch you there.